Today we remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. The crowds, the palms, the, the shouts of Hosanna, save us. That spectacle triggered the events that led to his arrest and crucifixion and resurrection. And this morning I want to read a passage that kind of sets the table for why Jesus went into Jerusalem in the first place, knowing what was waiting for him there. Let's open our hearts and minds to hear God's word from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28, Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come into his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. This is the word of God. World class. Lots of things today are advertised as being world class. And by that they mean the best, the, the highest caliber, the international standard of excellence. A world class athlete, a, a world class airline, a world class restaurant. It means they're outstanding, exceptional, A1. I mean, what's the Mercedes-Benz motto? The best or nothing. I mean, how's that to feed your ego? World class. I mean, that's something to aspire to in business or sports or entertainment. But have you ever thought about what it would mean to be a world class Christian? Now, I'm not talking about comparing ourselves with other believers and kind of vying to see, you know, who's a better Christian. Comparing ourselves that way would, would be an ugly thing and is completely contrary to what Christ desires for his body, the church. But what if by world class, we meant being a Christian who looks at life with a whole world perspective, a Christian who shares God's heart for the whole world. Last week I talked about how important it is for us to move out of our little suburban bubble to engage with people who might be different from us. Our dreams, our mission, our purpose, both individually and as a church community, can be severely limited by our ungodly prejudices. Jesus wants his followers to be a, an outward-facing circle that seeks to impact others. And that's what makes Jesus proud, seeing his people in action, serving and loving and sharing for the sake of Christ's kingdom. That's what makes Jesus proud of his church. Inward-facing churches can't carry out Christ's mission in the world because they're focused on themselves and inevitably inward-facing churches atrophy and begin to die a very slow death. We need to share God's heart for the world. Sometimes, you know, we have a dream, and we think it's God's dream, and then later we find out God has a much bigger dream in mind, and that's what happened with Peter in today's passage from the Gospel of Matthew. Peter's dream about 
who Jesus was and his understanding of Jesus' mission in the world, it was too small. He and the disciples were only thinking about themselves. They had an agenda. They had a dream of how Jesus was supposed to establish his kingdom on earth. Step one, kick out the Romans from Palestine. Step two, set up a new political machine. And step three, install the disciples to run things. The disciples thought they were going to be center stage at Jesus' right and left hand in this new world order. That was their dream of the kingdom of God. And their dream did not include things like crucifixion, suffering, and death. That's not how they thought this kingdom of God thing was going to unfold. So when Jesus starts to lay out what his kingdom and his purpose really are, when he starts this, this crazy talk about dying and coming back to life, Peter tries to correct him takes Jesus aside and tries to, you know, get him back on track, get with the program. And Jesus gives Peter this, this verbal smackdown, possibly the harshest critique in all the Gospels. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. I mean, wow, can you imagine having Jesus say that to you face to face? Talk about getting chewed out. I mean, I hope you never get a reprimand like that from your boss, because if you do, you might as well start cleaning out your desk. I mean, it's hard to come back after being compared to Satan, right? But Jesus knew Peter was, was kind of a numbskull. Peter did not respond to subtle. The only way to get through to him was a verbal two-by-four to the forehead. A gentle talking to wasn't going to do it. So Jesus kind of lays him out with this one-two punch. He says, Peter, you are not dreaming God's dream for the world. Folks, if we're ever going to be serious followers of Jesus, then we have to share his heart for the world. Jesus didn't come just to give people a spiritual pep talk to offer some, you know, nice religious platitudes that pious people are supposed to imitate. The message of Jesus isn't, you know, try hard, play nice, do your best. No, the message of Jesus is surrender your life, your will, your dreams to me. Die to yourself. And then from me you get a new life, a new dream, a new purpose. Surrendering to Jesus means dreaming his dream. Surrendering to Jesus means sharing Christ's heart for the world. What's the most famous passage in the whole Bible? John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world. Not just one country, not just one group of people. Excuse me. Jesus came so that the whole world could know God's grace and power and mercy. The Greek word used there is cosmos, uh, meaning the whole created order. Cosmos is the opposite of chaos. And ladies, that's why the word cosmetics literally means making order out of chaos. Yeah, I didn't make that up. Cosmos is the whole of God's world, and that's what Jesus so loved. So that Jesus became incarnate, became human, so that his death and resurrection could make salvation possible for all who believe in him. That's God's big dream. The challenge for us is to look beyond our own backyard and to understand that God wants our dreams, our interests to include this wider perspective than just our own geographical area. God wants us to expand both our circle of concern and our circle of influence. You see, there's a difference between our circle of concern and our circle of influence. Your circle of concern can be pretty big. It includes everything that's on your mind, everything that's got you worried, your health, your job, your family, your love life, your money, the weather, 
the deforestation of the Amazon or the Iranians developing a nuclear weapon. Your, your circle of concern could reach all the way around the, the world, but your circle of influence is much smaller. It encompasses only those areas where you can actually do something and have an impact. The circle of influence contains only the things that you can actually have some control over. And much of our anxiety and worry in life comes from the fact that we focus on our circle of concern rather than our circle of influence. We stew and we spin over things in our circle of concern that we can't do anything about. When we should have our focus be actually on our circle of influence. Parents have to learn this with their kids. As your children get older, they're always going to be part of your circle of concern, but they become less and less part of your circle of influence. That's normal. They become their own person. Otherwise, they'll never mature into responsible adults who can take care of themselves. You'll be holding them back if you're always trying to control them. The circle of concern and the circle of influence. Part of our challenge today as Christ followers here in the United States is, is the need to really understand what is our circle of concern and what is our circle of influence. American Christians have always known that they're supposed to be concerned for the whole world. But on a practical level, up until like the post-World War II era, their circle of influence around the world was pretty limited. I mean, limited by the flow of information, the speed of travel, and barriers of culture. I mean, 70, 80 years ago, a Christian in America might care about the people in Indonesia, you know, might have a special burden for the people of China, but getting any information about what was going on in those far away countries was going to be difficult. I mean, you wait for a weeks for a letter, or you hope to see something in a newspaper, and a person's ability to have any direct influence in that part of the remote world was extremely limited. So the belief was that if you were really going to have any influence at all, do anything at all, you'd have to become a full-time missionary. And you, then you'd have to go to that far-off land, and 99% of Christians weren't ever going to do that. They didn't have that calling from God. The missionaries were treated you know, like they were the marines of the church, the few, the proud, the cut above. Missionaries were, they were the ones who were the world-class Christians, not you know, the ordinary believers. But praise God, all of that has changed in our lifetime. The world is different now. Regular, ordinary Christians can have a big impact both locally and globally because of technology, because of the speed and ease of travel, because of the mobility of people all around the world. We really have become what Christian media critic Marshall McLuhan first described as the global village. It is now possible to have a wide circle of concern for the world and have a bigger overlapping circle of influence in that wide world. Remember, last week or last year, we were recruiting people to teach English to people in Bangladesh for Operation Mobilizations. You can have a real impact on someone's life halfway around the globe without ever leaving your kitchen. All you needed was a computer or a smartphone. I mean, that's how the world has changed. If you have a particular burden for people from a particular language group, you don't have to travel the globe and give up your day job in order to reach them. You can find a ministry in Queens where at least 138 languages are spoken in the public schools. It's one of the most diverse places on earth. The world has come to us, and the way we look at our circle of concern for Christ and our circle of influence for Christ is therefore changing. I remember someone once saying to me, kind of rather gruffly, 
why is the church building houses for poor people in Mexico and we could be building houses for people right here at home? Or more recently, someone said, you know, why are we trying to stamp out malaria in Malawi when we could be helping sick people here at home? Well, there's a two-part answer to those questions. The first part is that in seeking God's heart for the world, we no longer have to think either or. Either we do domestic missions or we do international missions. That's a false dichotomy. We don't have to be either or. We can be both and. And I really praise God that when I came to this congregation 16 years ago, this church already had a both and attitude, both local and global. The church's circle of concern was wider than just itself or its own backyard. The congregation already had a big heart for the whole world and was already engaged in meaningful ministry, both domestically but also internationally. That's the kind of church I wanted to be a part of. Already a heart for the gospel locally and globally because the two really do work together. And in fact, one without the other leaves a church unbalanced. To me, it's like breathing. You need to inhale and exhale. One without the other pretty quickly becomes a problem. If you only focus on local missions, the church becomes self-serving. If you focus only on global missions, a church seems detached from its own neighborhood. Local and global, they've got to work together in helping a church to dream God's dream for the whole world. The second part of the answer is that in seeking God's heart for the world, our primary goal is to respond to God's call upon the church, not to just chase whatever needs happen to pop up at the moment. I've often said that if you put a map of the world on the wall and someone closed their eyes and just threw a dart at it, at that map, wherever that dart hit, we could pour all of our mission's resources into that one spot. All of our money and effort could go into that one spot. It could be anywhere on the planet, you know, except maybe if it landed in the middle of an ocean. But anywhere on the planet because the needs all around the world are just so great. I mean, we could pour all our resources into Haiti or, or India or Somalia, I mean, right? I mean, enormous needs there. We could pour all our resources into youth ministry, like, like New Life down on the Lower East Side of New York City. I was down there with the director, Ephraim, right after Christmas, seeing what they're doing to reach gang kids living in the projects. Thousands of kids there who need to know the love of Christ, right? I mean, you could pick anywhere in the world, and we could throw all of our mission dollars at it, give it all our volunteer effort to just that one spot. But is that what God wants. You know, we get truckloads of mail every year from hundreds and hundreds of Christian ministries that could benefit from our mission giving and our volunteer efforts. How do you pick? Plus, everybody's got a cousin or a nephew or a friend who wants to go on the mission field and could use our support. If we just respond to whatever need makes the most noise or whatever issue is the popular missions project of the day, I mean, we go crazy because the needs are too great. If we just chase the need, in the end, the church is going to be far less effective in its circle of influence. No, to truly seek God's heart for the world, we have to respond to God's call. So let's take Malawi, for example. Why in the world are we doing anything in that remote and relatively unknown country? Because we believe God has called us there, period. Well, how did that calling happen? Well, it started long before I got here. For more than 30 years, this congregation has been supporting the, the work of African Enterprise, which years ago was primarily a ministry of evangelism and reconciliation in South Africa during the time of the apartheid. 
The founder of AE, Michael Cassidy, had visited New Providence many times to preach and to share the vision of, of that ministry. And the church stood loyally behind AE for a very long time. But there was a piece missing. In all those years of support, no one that I know of from the church had ever gone to Africa to see them in action. You see, it was, that was okay in the old model of missions. You send money, you hear the stories, the church feel, feels good about what they're doing. But that doesn't work in the world today. That to be authentic in the global village, the connection has to go both ways. So about 10 years ago, the AE folks said, why don't you come over? If we're really in this together, why don't you come over? And they were right. So a few of us went to Africa. We closed the distance. Remember how I talked about how important that is last week? We physically closed the distance. And it just so happened that what they invited us to was a major evangelistic crusade that they were doing with government, business, and community leaders in the country of Malawi, not South Africa. I'd never heard of Malawi. It's one of the almost unknown countries of the world, mainly because it has nothing that any other country wants. It doesn't have any gold, no oil, no diamonds, no raw materials, no agriculture. That's why they have never had a war. There's nothing to fight over. They're, they are the only country in Africa that has never had a war or a coup since independence. There's literally nothing to fight over. So other countries have ignored it. And so consequently, it's also one of the poorest countries in the world. I mean, it's a country where the favorite roadside snack is roasted rat on a stick. And I'm not kidding about that. I have not yet had the courage to try the local rat kebab. And so we go to Malawi. We close the distance. And while we were there, we were exposed to the greater needs of that country and the plight of its people. We got to see in action both the evangelistic ministry of African enterprise and the development and relief work of world vision kind of working parallel to each other. And we realized it didn't have to be either or. We felt very strongly that God was calling us to be both and. Yes, we want to spread the gospel through evangelism and African enterprise does that very well. And yes, we want to be able for people to be able to feed their children to protect them from disease, to develop a sustainable life economically, and to have an educational future. And World Vision is the best at doing that. And the folks from World Vision said, well, there's this region where no one is working. It's called Chilenge. Would your church be willing to take up that challenge? And we brought that challenge home, and the church said, yes, we are willing. And, and that's why we're in Malawi. There was no earthly reason for us to care about Malawi. We didn't pick it. God called us there. And so our circle of concern and our circle of influence now overlap in the Chilenje region of Malawi. We've sponsored evangelism, discipleship training, church planting, outreach to the tribal chiefs, but also vocational training, microfinance enterprises, food security. We've built schools, dug wells. Our church members now sponsor hundreds of children in the Chilenje region. And this year we're raising money to educate about malaria and to fight that deadly disease. So why do we care about spraying huts with insecticide to combat malaria-carrying mosquitoes? And why are we buying mosquito nets to pass out to families? Well, it's because I and many others since that first visit, we've sat in those huts on dirt floors, you know, covered with woven mats. We've swatted mosquitoes and worried about whether or not we were going to get malaria. We've seen the medical conditions. I mean, you wouldn't take your dog to some of the clinics they have in Malawi. We've held hands with the children. We've 
kicked a ratty old soccer ball across the dusty playground. We've prayed in their worship services. God, through this global village, brought our circle of concern and our circle of influence together in Malawi. And so we are participating in God's heart for the world. Well, I was going to do this whole thing on Jonah today and how he missed out on God's heart for the world, but I'm going to have to save that for some other time in the future. You know, this year, we have about 600 people working on the 50-day spiritual adventure of devotional books. And this week, we finish it up. We have to compress two weeks into one week. Between now and Monday, Thursday, that's going to be one week, and Ian will bring the next message in the theme series Thursday night. And then we've got just three days for the closing theme that gets us to Easter Sunday. So if you're doing the journal and, um, and you've got time this week, you're going to have a lot to think about over the next seven days. But don't let today's theme get lost in the shuffle. Whatever it is that God has called you to do right here, whether you're a homemaker, student, parent, professional, business owner, tradesman, whatever it is, begin to identify with Christ's heart for the world. Pray about your circle of concern and your circle of influence. Become a world-class Christian. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this global village that we now live in and how it's changing us, how being able to connect with our mission partners both locally and globally is really changing who we are and how we experience our faith in you. It gives us such a greater hands-on feel to serving you. We don't just send a check, Lord. We send people. We're connected with people that we know, both uh, here right next to us, but also in our global partners. Lord, thank you that we're a both-and church, and that we can share your great heart for the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.